Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chronicles chapter 11. We are doing disco for chapter 11. For those of you who lived through the disco era, we're going to try to revisit it and help you remember uh, what's gone on in the past. So Eminem, you're up. Tell us about disco. Well, good morning. I try to do podcasts that I was involved in during my era, and disco was one of them. And before I get started, I got a couple jokes <laughs> I want to uh, go over with. Uh, the first one is, what's the Queen's favorite Prince song? I don't know. What is? Purple Rain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay. What do ghosts dance to? Hey, well, you got a big smirk on your face. Please tell me. Soul music. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love these. Um, why do? Why didn't the skeleton dance at the disco? I don't know why. He had no body to dance with. Oh my, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I got a couple more. Why do ants? dance on jam jars I have no idea because the jar says twist to open <laughs> <laughs> okay all right here here's the last one how do ballroom rumors spread uh, I don't know through the grapevine Oh my God, that's funny! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, guys! Oh, you did an outstanding job there. Uh, thank you. I mean, you know, I kind of rushed to put this together, but I, I hope you guys enjoy, you know, the jokes. But getting down to some things I found out about disco. Okay, disco. First of all, is a shorthand for the word discotheque. It's a French word for a library of phonograph records. In, in 1964, Playboy magazine used the word disco to describe the Los Angeles nightclubs. Now, this is 1964. Vincent Aletti was one of the first to describe disco as a sound or music genre. He wrote features about discotheque rock Party that appeared in Rolling Stone magazine in September 1973. Wow. So a few people remember that, and I kind of briefly remember that because I used to read Rolling Stone magazine, and that particular year, September 1963, I would have been a sophomore in college. So, you know, I would know a little bit about that. Disco era was born on Valentine's Day in 1970. Okay. Uh, this guy named David Manso opened the loft. I don't know if you ever heard of that, the loft yes. in New York City, and it rapidly faded into 1980. Yeah, the loft. So that was kind of like the first rising of the uh, disco era. Yeah, that was one of the more popular clubs, too. Right, the loft. Okay. When the disco movement peaked in the 1978-1979, the demographics was predominantly white, heterosexual, urban, and suburban middle class. Interesting. That is very, I didn't realize that, yes. But 
Disco roots were multiple. It had its connection to R&B and funk. It was born out of the urban gay culture in New York City. Okay. Which makes sense because I'm, I'm getting to something here shortly to tie into that. Okay. DJs. Yes. DJs are what made the discos what they were because... The disc jockey. There you go, the disc jockey. I got some interesting facts here about the disc jockeys, and the disc jockeys would often remix existing songs using reel-to-reel tape machines. Yes, they were very popular back right. then. The DJ would mixer would also use microphones to interject songs or talk to people. Some DJs were also record producers who created and produced disco songs in the recording studio. Did you know that? So that's a very interesting fact. No, I did not. I did not either. Disc DJs would mix dance records at clubs like Studio 54. <laughs> now, that place, New York City, that place is what really disco on the map because it was your who knows who of stars and popular people. If you wasn't somebody famous or had money, you didn't get in that place. And even people like Michael Jackson, you know, he freaked the place and they let him in because of his popularity, you know, and right. stuff like that. So oh, they wanted him in there. Yes, yes, and he brought even more and more famous people in there. But a story tied to this, there is a band called Chic and they had just got a couple songs, so they go there. They get the nod. They were pissed off, so what do they do? They go back to the, restart, the recording studio, and they made this song, but they had to change it, called Freak Out. Actually, it was Blank You, but they had to change it. And <laughs> pertaining to Studio 54, what does it do? It puts them on the map. Yes, I now Al Rogers and his brother and all this group called Chic, and also I thought that was very interesting. Uh, people wore expensive, extravagant, sexy you know, fashions. The drug culture, dancing to loud music and flashing lights, cocaine and quaaludes were the choice of drugs in that area. Yeah, well, quaaludes were the choice of drugs for many, many years. Years. Until they quit making them. Quit making them, yeah. That's the only reason they stopped. Yeah, because I, I remember a lot of people, you know, and they would call them lemon drops or 714. Some of them would have 714. Well, well the real pharmaceutical ones had yeah. 714 14. on them. Yes. And on, where I came from, they would call them 714 lemons. Well, there you go. Or Gorilla Biscuits. Or Gorilla Biscuits, <laughs> yes. Okay, back in that era, okay. Now, back then, a lot of, there was a lot of instruments used whenever they were making songs and all. They reverberated vocals, double horns, electric pianos, electric or keyboard synthesizers. And we can't forget about the disco ball. No, you can't forget a disco but, ball. Listen at this. It's called the Disco Ball, Mirror Ball, Glitter Ball. There is this place in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's currently named Omega National Products, claimed to have made 90% of the disco balls in the USA. 
Well, then how many disco balls was that? Or does it, they just give you a percentage? Percentage. They, 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 nothing, they made 90% of the ones in the USA. Did they give a reason why they said they made 90% of them? That's just it. That's all the information they give. I tried to research it more. That's the only information they give. Uh, because yeah. there was other companies, I'm sure, that made them too, but they right. made the majority of them that were used in the United States because they're, again, disco was popular over in England, all like that. They had the balls, and, which I'm sure they had companies over there that made them you know, for themselves, and so they're getting them you know, exported over you know, to England. Yeah, shipping country to country back then was very expensive. Yes, exactly. So a lot of times they had to get companies to do them themselves. Okay. Back then, some of the most popular bands in the disco era, Casey and the Sunshine Band. They're still doing it today. I saw them numerous times. Donna Sommer, I saw her in concert. Sister Slash. You know, she didn't, she didn't fit. No. The disco, what's that uh, I'm looking for here? The uh, the persona no, no. of what they everybody said disco was. Right. But she didn't they call her like the queen of disco? Yeah, for a while, yes. Yes. Well, there were there aren't too many women that could sing like that girl. No, because matter of fact, I looked up and they had like the ten songs in the disco era. She had two of them in the top ten. Yeah, probably nobody else had two. Oh uh, yes. Who? Bee Gees. Oh well. I, I'll get to them. I'll get to them. Okay. okay. Forgot okay. about them. Right. You can't forget about the Bee Gees in that era. Okay. Village people, Michael Jackson, Bee Gees, and Chic. Okay, the first number one song on the American disco chart debuted in November 2nd, 1974, and it was Never Say Goodbye by Gloria Gaynor. Huh. I did not know that, yes. Yeah, well, that song put her on the map. Okay, the best disco song of all time, number one, is Stand Alive. BGs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if it hadn't been for Saturday Night Fever. Okay, yeah. Right here, I'm getting to that. Saturday Night Fever, 1977, and Thank God It's Friday, 1978, contributed to the disco mainstream popularity. Those two movies right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, disco wouldn't have capped like it did if it hadn't been for Saturday Night no, Fever. I know. I mean, look at the BGs. They had what? four or five songs that wind up being hits that they use. Matter of fact, the soundtrack basically is theirs to that movie. Yeah, they they recorded most of it. Did yeah. you know they recorded that whole album for that soundtrack in one weekend? Yes. Yes, I did. They were in France or somewhere. Yeah. And the three of them sat down and just song after song after song just poured right out of them. Right. And you know, that album, I heard... I listened to 105.9 on Saturday morning. I listened to it every day I'm at work. But on in the mornings, they on Saturdays, they play a, a reel back of Casey Kasem, yeah. American Top 40. 40. Yeah, I love that. I listened to that. And he was talking about number one albums of all time. And the, I think he said that the BG Saturday Night Fever was number one for something like 24 weeks. Weeks. Exactly. When it came out for Saturday Night, for uh, yeah, Saturday Night Fever, and that's it's like astronomical. I know. Look, I mean, look how many albums they sold. I mean, 
I even had that album. I mean, it was like, yeah. I mean, it was one of the most popular. I mean, you go to the record store and try to get it, and a lot of, they were out of them. Yes. They were having to restock, and they'd put your name on the list in order to get that. So, yeah. Hey, your album's here. Yeah. You got 48 hours to come get, get it. it. There you go. And, okay, attire. <laughs> attire. Oh, you mean like dress attire? Attire, yes. Tight fitting, shiny, satin or polyester button-down shirts. And remember, they always had two buttons missing and that gold chain that glittered yeah. that everybody could see. Oh, my God. That is, that's so funny. And they were the co color coordinated your shirt, pants, and jackets, preferably in white or bright hues. The, the shirt collar was flared out butterfly style. There you go. Butterfly style. I had at least two of those shirts. <laughs> Platform shoes and boots and women dress, hairdress, Farrah Fawcett. Oh, yes, the windblown hairstyle was exactly. incredibly Incredible popular back then. Back then. Of course, the poster with her sitting on the Mexican blanket. Yeah. How many guys didn't have one of those? I had one. I had one. <laughs> That thing stayed have, with me in college for quite a few years. If my wife had let me have one, I'd have one now. <laughs> Mine too. She's going, Matt, you don't need that. That's that's just, you know, you, you don't need that. <laughs> but uh, the disco era, like, is very popular. They made a lot of money. But like anything else, it gets to the time where things start to run down. I'm sure you remember this. The Disco Demolition Night anti-disco protest was held at Kaminsky Park in Chicago, July 12, 1979, the symbolized disco declining fortune where they burnt disco albums out in the middle of the field. Yes. Wind up called the chaos. Oh yeah. Remember that? I remember that. <laughs> That was a sad day. That was. A lot of people said. Matter of fact, a lot of people, even after that, uh, company started uh, printing up disco t-shirts with people. You know, buying the, the disco era is in. The sad day in life. The end of disco. But that was starting to climb. So basically by 19, by the end of 1980, it was pretty well, you know, phased out and all. But even during that era, I, some of the music I like, but I still like my blues and rock and roll. I, you know, I, I didn't get away from that. A lot of people did. I mean, there too, I was poor. I didn't have money to go out and buy swanky, you know, dress attire, platform shoes, and these silk shirts. I mean, so, and, you know, friends would, I would go there, you know, place, you know, check them out. But I, I was still in my rock and roll and, you know, and blues. And then, you know, people like Rod Stewart tried to get in it. Don't you think? And then the Rolling Stones, they did a couple of disco songs, and the people totally started hating them, and they finally got back to their rock and roll. So there's quite a few rock bands trying to dip into that disco era, trying try, try to make a little money. Well, you know, the people that the audience for disco had gotten a decade older by that time. Right. And life happened and things changed and their nucleus was falling apart as far as them going out 
Because if they were in their early 20s and the early 70s, that means they were in their early 30s in the early 80s. And a lot of them had gotten married and they had kids. And, you know, going out two, three, four nights a week was not on their plate. (laughs) And, too, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is a lot of money. To be spending going out because even, you know, back then, you know, you're buying drinks, you're... I'm sure most people went there when they're too to buy, or if they didn't have recreational drugs, they were sold, especially at Studio, Studio 54. Yeah, and in the early 80s, they quit making Quaaludes, so that didn't help it either. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's time to go. But uh, in closing, I hope that this was informative, especially to a lot of people that didn't grow up in that era. Me and the voice, we did. We kind of know what it was like. I mean, it was, I'll tell you what, it was an era where it was easy to pick up chicks. <laughs> I found that out. Disco era, disco, it was the women were more aggressive in that area than the men going to the clubs. I'm serious. Yes, they were. I mean, they would pick you up. You would have to pick them up. They would pick you up. I mean, yes. you know, I, mean, I lived up in Waynesville, North Carolina, small town, and we would have women come all the way from Marshtown, Tennessee to come to that club. They would spend the night to come to that club. I mean, small town, that was the only club there, so if you went to Asheville, North Carolina. So, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Like anything else, things come and go. I mean, you learn stuff from it, and I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, but in closing, hopefully this is informed to everybody, and uh, have fun. Well, thank you, Eminem, for all that information and uh, all the history and uh, taking me back there a little bit. So that was Chapter 11 for Chronicles, Strapped to the Bumper of Life, and the chapter was Disco. Thank you for listening. <laughs>